Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Full crew here. Um, Ak has the day off. Uh, Kevin Allen will be joining us from USA Today. Um, he just got back from Europe, uh, so I'm going to ask him about a few questions about uh, his trip uh, and enough things to talk about in the NHL. But, Russ, start with some pre-show. Uh, I know that you have a little baseball thing and P- Peter yeah. has a little football thing. So, Yeah, I noticed uh, in the news, I guess you couldn't help but notice, that the Yankees will be playing the White Sox over at the Field of Dreams in Iowa. What I I, I like the fact that MLB is – is copying the NHL and branching out and going neutral sites. That's good. Mm-hmm. What I don't like is they killed the Hall of Fame game, which was an annual tradition for, I want to say, over 50 years, maybe even longer than that, of Major League teams when they used to come in Hall of Fame weekend and play on Double Day Field in front of the fans. I went to one of those games. It's spectacular. Now, that wasn't a regular season game, and this is. But I just – the more baseball killed off traditions to just do it for money, right. it what really kind of bothers me about this. If the Hall of Fame game never been killed, I'd probably be okay with this. But I feel like MLB is doing this more for promotion than they are for anything else because the, the excuse was for the Hall of Fame game, well, you know, travel became an issue and it's out of the way. And I'm sure Iowa was really close for a lot of these teams. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I don't know how the, the distance between Chicago and, and where the, this ballpark is located in, in Iowa. I would assume it's probably three or four hours drive. But, uh, I mean, I, I don't have a problem. I have less of a problem with this, Anthony, than I do the Yankees and the Red Sox playing games in, in London in a ballpark that was such a friggin' bandbox that they, you know, they, they basically broke records for home runs. That was an atrocity. Yeah, I yeah. much prefer a, uh, a game of footy in, 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 uh, in London. I was just thinking, what was that movie years ago with uh, Russell Crowe where they play the Rangers? Mystery I, Alaska. Yeah, I'm, I'm waiting for the – that's about, the first thing that popped in my head. So when's the Mystery Alaska game going to happen? That's the next one. And, you know, if we're going to go out of the way for a game. Um, I like the idea – again, at first blush, you like the idea. But at the same time, the, the contrivances of it are what they are. That's all, and, and that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'll give you the one other thing, Mike. Yeah. Because Anthony brought up a great point. If MLB wanted to play that Alaska game, they could play it at midnight, and they would get a ton of promotion out of it. Because that's what happens in the Alaskan Baseball League all the time. Remember, they they literally play. I want to do that one day and go because they play from sun up to sundown, which is literally like a full day. And so they could do that. I mean, Peter, would would you have a problem with the NHL playing a game in like the middle of the plains of Saskatchewan or Manitoba or something like that? I mean, well, they're playing a game in Saskatchewan. And well, Saskatchewan is nothing but plains. Like that's all it is. I just drove through he there. To, he wants to it's, outside um, in the elements, man. That's what he. I mean, like, like. Scary. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I, look, I think there's some neat novelty to it. I think it could be a ton of fun. I, 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 I think as they learn about as, as leagues learn about fans and stuff. They do things because there's enough fans who want to do it and say what you want about the winter classic and who's been in it. 
it makes money. It works. Yeah. And they're going to continue doing it until they don't see it. Uh, see that happening. And, and I think it's good for major league baseball to give it a shot. I think, uh, it'd be fun. I mean, it'd be interesting. You know, the NFL's had great success going over to London and they're expanding, you know, they keep seeming to add more games every year to that. Um, they're just not going to have great success in Winnipeg when they play a preseason game. And there's my segue. Uh, there's um, a big pseudo controversy brewing in Winnipeg as the Packers and the Raiders are playing a preseason game here. Now there are a lot of Packers fans here. There are a lot of Winnipeggers actually have season tickets to the Vikings and we'll drive down and go see, go see the eight games a year and stuff. Like it's a six and a half hour drive. You, it's not unfathomable. So, there are only 8,700 tickets sold in a 32,000 seat stadium for this and maybe 300 in the lower bowl because they priced them at roughly $400 Canadian to, to watch a preseason game. It's insane. So the, it, it, it's, it's quite nuts. Um, I thought the initiative was kind of a bold idea when it was announced, but you've got to know your market. If you just top the tickets out at 150 bucks, right? What like do the math. Like, yeah, it is a preseason game. Find your other avenues to make money on it and around it with merchandise or something cool. Add some other things in. But you need before you can make any money, you you you, you need people in the stands. And, you know, you're not going to do that at those price points for a preseason game. I mean, it was hard enough, Mike, as you said before the show started um, for the Toronto fan or for yeah. Buffalo when they were playing games in Toronto. It's silly. Yeah. Yeah has a license to print money in a lot of places, but Canada is not one of them. Right. And if you're going to venture up here and the promoter, it's a guy from Saskatchewan who's doing it. Um, who's a huge event promoter. You have to know your market really well. And there's more excitement right now about a WHL team starting its inaugural season in Winnipeg. That's going mm -hmm. to play out of an absolutely heinous building until their new arena is built. And there's more excitement about that right now than the NFL. Yeah. This is why they gave you a crappy preseason game. The NFL doesn't care about you in Canada. Like that, that's proof of yeah. it. They gave you a crappy preseason game. The Raiders are so desperate for money. They'll go anywhere. They'll go to the desert to play football. They don't care. Oh, they will. Actually, they are going to the desert next year. Um, so this is just yeah. what smacks up is, an entity that's way too big for their britches in the NFL and them just sort of giving you guys the crumbs because, hey, look, even our preseason's better than your regular season. That's what they're telling you. Yeah, and it puts it, in, it puts it into perspective, uh, the story about Antonio Brown. I didn't know that the Raiders were the team that was going to Winnipeg. So now I know why Antonio Brown uh, had uh, was doing cryotherapy because he was afraid that it was going to be too cold in Winnipeg, and then he gave himself frostbite. But it's not cold in Winnipeg, right, Pete? <laughs> Balmy. Balmy Winnipeg. No, but he, hey, Frank. I was watching Hard Knocks, and if I didn't get this wrong, he went in barefoot yes. to cryogenics when you're supposed to wear booties. Like, if nothing else, this guy's a moron, but if he cared anything about him, the trainer would have gone through with him what you're supposed to do when you go to this place because now you just lost your best receiver. You're going to do your pinky toe. Yeah. yeah I mean <laughs> – 
See the yeah. the, the the question because I did a, mm-hmm. I was doing a radio spot on Buffalo Radio this morning, and the question was, name the stupidest uh, injury for for. A, p- a player in a particular sport, and this is up with Dustin Penner getting hurt with the pancake. No, no, no. JPP blowing off his his right hand, two fingers on his right hand. Top, nothing tops that. Nothing. You know, I can't remember the name of the pitcher, but some pitcher cut his cut his uh, the p- uh, finger on his pitching hand, uh, opening up a sunflower seed. <laughs> you know, yeah. Also, I, there was a player, a baseball player, who had a knife fight. With his wife, maybe it was Lonnie Smith. Was that it? It was one of them who got an injury that way. Former Philly. <laughs> so World champion Philadelphia Philly. Right? He was on that 80s squad. <laughs> okay, let's start the show. Uh, Kevin should be joining us any minute. Uh, hello, Hockey World. Today is Thursday, August 8th, 2019. I'm Anthony Majoni from Centerize Philly Magazine. I'm Peter Tesse, back in balmy Winnipeg. <laughs> there you Plus go, Frank. And I'm Michael Agello, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Okay, let's start out with this. Um, it sort of broke yesterday. I don't think it's a big story, but I think it's interesting. And I know Russ and I talked about it on the uh, before uh, before the show. And I sort of agree with his point of view, but I want to get everybody else's thought on it. Andre Markov, you know, long-time – Excellent defenseman for the Montreal Canadiens. Now is 40 years old. He, two years ago, uh, was trying to negotiate a long-term extension with the Canadiens. They wouldn't go any more than one year because he's an over-35 contract. And he bolted and went to the KHL. He's played two years in the KHL, and now, all of a sudden, he wants to come back. Now, looking at the landscape of the Canadiens where they're strong on the right side with Shea Weber, and Jeff Petrie. Uh, on the left side, they're not as strong. There's talk of them being interested in Jake Gardner. Um, that would probably be you know, fairly costly um, on a long-term deal. But Markov is 40, and uh, Russ, I'll go to you first. I looked up his stats, and last year with Akbars, he had, I think, 14 points. So, I mean – I think he's done based on that. I mean, if he'd put up big points, then I'd say this is a roll of dice worth taking, but I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to look it up. I don't think it's Lonnie Smith with the knife fight, but it was a pretty good player like that, so I'm going to take it back for Lonnie. Um, but getting to Markov, the first thing you should know about Andre Markov is he is a world championship sweater. Like this guy at the All-Star game, you know how they have all the media interviews at the All-Star game? He was so nervous – being in front of the media when it was in Montreal, he started sweating before the lights were on. Like it was just unbelievable. But anyhow, he was so like, he, yeah, it's like he, he's like right out of the cast of Cool Hand Luke. So yeah. is, he, is he related to Raldus Chapman or or David Dinkins or you know, there's there's some world class sweaters out there. But getting to his play, nothing smacks more of I just want to play ten games and retire so I could play a, a thousand games as a hab like Thomas Placanic did. This is such a cheap ploy by this guy because two years ago, he demanded a two-year deal. They didn't give it to him, so he goes to the KHL. And now that his career is failing, oh, yeah, I want to come back to the Canadians and play 10 games so I can have a 1,000 you know, in as, as a Montreal Canadian, even though I stink. If I'm, if I'm Bergevin, I tell him, hit the bricks because you had your chance two years ago. We, we are joined by Kevin Allen of USA Today. Kevin, <laughs> Sorry, Kevin. Hey well, there. Welcome back. Uh, we're we're going to ask you a, 
question about your trip, but uh, as you jumped on, uh, Russ was talking about the uh, the story about Andre Markov wanting to come back to the Canadians after two years in the KHL, and I, I looked up his stats, and I think he had 33 points the uh, two years ago. Last year, he had 14 points. Um, I looked up Thomas Placanitz when he got traded to the Leafs and then went back to Montreal. He was three two games short of a thousand. He signed, he played three games, and then he went to the Czech Republic. It almost smacks to me like Markov wants to get to the thousand game mark, and then he's going to go back to the KHL. What, what do you think? Yeah, maybe. I you know I I've been gone, so I really don't know you know too much about what's going on. And um, I, I heard what Russ said, and it seemed to me that Russ uh, had a pretty good analysis of it. Uh, um, you know, uh, Markov isn't the player that he was. Uh, years ago, and I, the Canadians obviously are only going to be interested if they feel like he's going to be a pretty major contributor. So I, I don't know. I, I just don't see that it happen. And you may be absolutely right that he just wants to sort of reach the milestone. Anthony, um, I mean, there are very few players that are that are forty years old. I mean, you can count them on one hand that could that can still be contributors. I mean, it's it's ironic still that Patrick Marlowe, after the trade to Carolina, after the buyout. Everybody thought, okay, he's going to sign with San Jose, and now it's August eighth, and it still hasn't happened. And now I'm starting to question whether it will. But uh, I mean, I just don't see like uh, you know this this return to Markov just to come back and get the ten games. It smacks to me of that. I mean, I remember watching a little bit of Markov when he went over to Akbar's Kazan. He had a good season for them. I believe they won the the Gagarin Cup um, in his first year over there. But yeah, I think you're right. And but then his play really kind of slipped off after that. It was a deep playoff run, and again, not a young man at this point of his career. Um, his play definitely tailed off the last few seasons. So we knew you, you know, that Akbar's was looking to have an influx of younger defensemen coming in. It was mm -hmm. nice to have him back, obviously having an NH having an NHL player come back. But now again, it's it's tough. I get that he wants to come back to the Canadiens, but. Um, I don't see it happening right now. It's just unless he's willing to be like a seventh defenseman who's going to get in a game here or there and, and right. willing to, you know, not get paid much and, you know, possibly be plugged in as maybe a fringe defenseman, as a depth defenseman maybe. I could see it happening if he's willing to do that. If not, and obviously at, at, at a price that the uh, the Canadians would have to be willing to, to go with in this case, um, I just I doubt it. Peter, any thoughts on this? Because I, 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 you know what? Yeah, you know what? They probably do. They they probably have some chats with them. Maybe they bring him in on a PTO, see if he still got the legs, and then dangle a contract there. You know, get some butts in the stands to see you know a fan favorite from years gone by come back in, play. Yeah. You know, you you keep some of your younger guys or whoever you don't want to dress in the preseason, which all teams do, sure. and see where it goes from there. It might not be a bad move. Um, might not be the right move, but it might not be a bad move. Now, Kevin, uh, I know that you were uh, traveling through Europe. It was uh, I saw some of the pictures on on your Facebook. Uh, where did you Where did you go? And any interesting sights? Uh, I mean, it was a great trip. Uh, you know, we were in uh, France for a couple of weeks, and uh, you know, it's kind of hard to even describe. But uh, the the only thing I would say about it, it was it was really felt like a whirlwind because. Um, we kind of went all the way from Paris down to Southern France and mm -hmm. we never still stayed in the same hotel more than two days. So we changed hotels eight times. And I, I think when you do that, um, you know, it's just, it kind of wears you out. And, uh, also anybody who's been to Europe knows 
they eat a little bit later and it takes longer. So if you go mm -hmm. to a European European restaurant, a French restaurant, and you start dinner at seven, you get out of there at 10. So, you know, you're starting in the morning and sightseeing. But, you know, going to uh, Omaha Beach and Utah Beach uh, and to see the D-Day sites, that was certainly a highlight. And then uh, going down to Monaco, we uh, went to the Monte Carlo Casino of James Bond fame and, you know, saw the Rolls Royce uh, parked out front and uh, the Bentleys and the uh, Bergatti's uh, sports cars. Uh, you know, it was it was just kind of a fun trip. And uh, I did make it. The, uh, the only sports reference I, I can give you is is that when I uh, visited Leonardo da Vinci's uh, last uh, chateau where he lived uh, until he died, um, it struck, I had a sports analogy to it. It, it. You know, we all associate Leonardo da Vinci with Italy. You know, he painted the Sistine Chapel. Uh, but as, as it turned out, and I certainly didn't know this, um, but in the latter years of his life, the, the King of France called and said, hey, Leonardo, you know, you're late in your career. Why don't you come to France? We'll give you a, a chateau uh, and we'll give you 90 pieces of gold per month. And I thought, you know, that would be kind of like the Red Sox taking the Yankees best player, you know, late in his career and stealing him as a free agent. So I think Leonardo da Vinci uh, might have been the first free agent ever. Uh, in, in the history, having signed, having left Italy uh, to play for France in the final stage. I can give you one James Bond reference. So I was on in, on vacation in Jamaica, and they actually, in Ocho Rio, and they actually have a big rock that has the James Bond logo, and I guess they use that in the water scene for Live and Let Die, maybe? Yeah. And, and so that's that's so I that's the only thing I've ever visited that had the James Bond and Mike. The earlier injury was Irving Fryer before the AFC Championship. Ah, okay, the great Irving yep. Fryer. Now, now the uh, yeah, I mean Leonardo though. I mean that was probably the first contract that uh, you know somebody would want to buy out. It was a, 30, a thirty-five and over contract that there was there was no buyout. Club. Yeah, I'll tell you though. I mean, what you saw there in his last chateau, he had all these crazy plans that seemed crazy at the time but um you know he, he had drawings of an airplane a helicopter a paddle wheel um a tank like he had all these drawings that uh, he had there in his uh, chateau he was quite the uh you know renaissance man now one other point i was going to bring up uh if if i know now we think of the the d-day movie as being uh you know saving private ryan but you know when you're my age it was the longest yeah, day yeah. And in that movie, the most memorable scene, of course, is when Red Button mm -hmm. Red Buttons his parachutes down and his chute gets caught um, in San Marigliese on yeah. the steeple of the church. Well, we visited San Marigliese, and that church is still there. It's a 7th century church, and they still have, as a symbol of it, they have a, a dummy and a parachute hanging yeah. from the steeple. That if, uh, for those who haven't been there and the the square where all the americans came down and of course many of them were slaughtered um that is still the same i mean it's still an open space and there are still some homes there that were there uh, when all that happened so that was pretty memorable as well so but i i thought uh, coming on for the first time you thought you i thought you were going to ask me about the Minnesota Wild and Dodgers. Oh, we're, we're, we're getting there. We're getting there. Oh, we're getting there. Okay. We wanted to get you wanted to your feet into the pot, like you know, like the frog. That, that, yeah. it, that has going to, you know, I 
came back and I heard about this. And I think that's just one of the craziest stories I've heard in a very long time. Well, let's let's start with, let's start with the Minnesota part, and then we'll drift yeah. to the Carolina part because I, it, there's a debate about which one is crazier. Um, because I'm mean, the Fenton firing, based on what we have learned via Mike Russo's pieces in the Athletic and what's come out afterward. I mean, this has been this sounds like it was a complete disaster for for one year where Fenton. I mean, we were we were looking at what Fenton did in that one year trading. Granlin trading, trying to trade Zucker, uh, uh, trading Charlie Coyle to uh, to Boston for Ryan Donato. Some of these deals, I think, looked good in terms of them being a team that was going to rebuild or retool on the fly. But maybe he wasn't on the same page with ownership because I think that they have a core group there that they think that they can still win with. And he was going down the road of trying to rebuild. And maybe that philosophical philosophical difference on top of everything else that was going on was the problem with Fenton. Well, here's what I would say about it. I, I think he actually could have survived um, the, the, you know, the so-called mistakes he made in, in the team and uh, changing up the team. Um, the biggest problem I, that I can see, you know, based on what I've been told is, you know, he just didn't develop, a relationship with anybody in the organization. Yeah. Um, he didn't have a relationship with the coach. Mm-hmm. He wanted to f- the fire the coach, and uh, the ownership had said going in that they didn't want to do that. So he simply didn't speak often enough to, uh, um, to Bruce Boudreaux. Um, he didn't have a great relationship with the people in management. Mm-hmm. He didn't often tell ownership what he was up to. Uh, and it was just, he, you know, he turned out he was a poor communicator. So um, I think while it's true that ownership, Craig Leopold being the owner, wasn't thrilled with what he did with the team, I, I think what really cost Fenton his job was the fact that um, he just built a very poor culture there. Like, you know, nobody even kind of understands or knows who Paul Fenton is, from what I understand, uh, because yeah. he just didn't make himself available. and didn't sort of explain himself and, you know, just wasn't a great communicator. So I don't know, you know, maybe he, it would have worked out. Uh, you know, we don't know for sure. I mean, you know, we can say we didn't like all of his moves, but who knows, but you know, we're never going to get a chance to see because he didn't do the things that you have to do, which, you know, and I think saying all that, I think that's why Don Waddell looks like such an attractive candidate to Craig Leopold because that's what he's known for. He's known as a great communicator, a guy that brings everybody in the tent. He knows everybody in the organization. Um, You know, he's a very upbeat guy. And, you know, we know historically in the NHL what happens when there's a firing of a coach or GM. You go opposite. Yeah, You know, that's always if you had a hardliner, you want someone softer. And in this case, they had a guy who didn't communicate, you know, well enough. And so I think that's why Don Waddell is a leading candidate because he's exactly what Paul Fenton isn't. Now, Anthony, I know you have to drop off in a few minutes, so I wanted to get you, get your uh, feel on this because we're we're getting sort of com- confusing signals from the Carolina side of this. What Dundon come comes out and says. You know that essentially, well, what I, what I don't think Waddell is going to go, and he's got a job here. But you know, and then it comes out. Tom, uh, good Jack Tom uh, Gelidi's uh, article, which was shortly after our show yesterday. Right. 
So, I mean, th th this is sort of a convoluted situation on both sides. I think Dundon is, Dundon is not holding Waddell to, a, uh, to say, you know, he's, you know, definitely going to come back. He's not offering him a contract, but so, and he's giving him free reign to go and talk to the wild. And now when it comes out that Waddell might be that leading candidate, now all of a sudden Dundon says, well, I don't think he's going to go anywhere. He's going to stay. I mean, what, what is Dundon doing? I mean, that's the thing we're trying to figure out what the plan is, because if you go by, I believe it was Luke, uh, Luke the Cox column yeah. uh, and hit what he reported, certainly and what got reported on, on on Twitter from his from his feed was that basically that Dundon was allowing Dundon. I mean, I was allowing Waddell to, you know, get a bet, quote unquote, a better deal if he thinks he could get it in Minnesota. But it wasn't one of those public things where it was kind of, where he would have indicated that. You know, and then we'll see if we'll, you know, then we'll see if we'll match it. He never said that. It wasn't in the quote. It wasn't in the quotation. So now, when it becomes the lead candidate, all of a sudden, he's confident. But then there's some other. I have to go back into the article again. There's some other interesting things that Dundon says um, in 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 that in in uh, Tom Galiti's piece that if I like a guy, then I'm going to make sure I, I get to bring him back in. Yada yada yada. And it's like. Have a plan of what is your plan of attack, and that's something that seems to be very is very nebulous right now, at least with Carolina. It's just not a the optics aren't good when you're five weeks out from you know from meaningful hockey activity here. That's that's the biggest yeah. thing. The optics. Are not good. The only thing I'd add to that is what I had said before. If Tom Dundon thought Don Waddell thought of him as a valued employee he would have just had him under contract already. He wouldn't have allowed any of this. He wouldn't have said, go look around if you want. He would have just had him under contract. Even after all of this, he still hasn't offered him a contract. Right. Yeah. So, let, me, let, let me add something to that since mm -hmm. I know Tom Dundon pretty well and I covered him uh, with his football venture as well and I got to know him a little bit. Uh, the idea of the contract is he simply does not believe that GMs should be given contracts. That's his issue. Um, he's made that clear from the very beginning. He he sees a GM employee. He doesn't give anybody he works with in his business world a contract. You're basically, you know, it's kind of like I work at USA Today. I don't have a contract. You know, I, I work on a day-to-day -day basis just like a lot of us do. You know, that's the way the world works. Well, that's not how hockey works, and that's not how pro sports works. No. But somehow he's gotten it into his head that he can change that. The problem with that is there are league rules. The league rules say, and obviously for tampering reasons, you have to identify who's going to be the representative of your team. So he'll have to sign Waddell to be a contract. But, it, it, you know, basically what he was saying yesterday is, uh, I'm making no change. Don Waddell is my GM. I just haven't given him a contract because I don't really w w give my employees contracts. Now, the league's going to make him do that. So I'm guessing he'll offer him a one-year deal. Um, and I also think he has, I'll call it a unique idea of how much executives should be paid <laughs> i think he thinks executives uh uh are being paid too much uh and i think uh, you know that's the reason as well i you know I, if you're going to be a gm now around the nhl i think you expect a million dollars a year right. and see waddell and, th and this hasn't been brought up either he's he's got a dual role there he's also the team president and yeah, here's, the problem. Yesterday, Here, yeah. here's the problem he's a very good team president mm -hmm. like he does a good job uh, you know, he's done a good job there of increasing sponsorship. Even before they had success, he was getting more sponsors. He was getting more people there. You know, he gets out in the community. He talks to people. So he's doing two jobs. 
but I don't think uh, Tom wants to give uh, Tom Dundon wants to give him the, him the money. So it's going to be interesting to see the league. Obviously, at some point, will say, "Hey, if he's going to be your GM, he's got to be under contract, some kind of contract." Um, so it'll be interesting to see what happens. But I, I, I uh, I've talked to Don Waddell. He didn't really want to say too much because he's in a bad spot, and I don't blame him. Yeah, uh, I don't blame him. yeah, he get he gets. He gets along reasonably well with Dundon, uh, and that uh, you know, and, and Dundon is a unique and hardline guy sometimes to deal with. But uh, Waddell gets along with everyone, so uh, I, you know, I don't know what's going to happen, but um, you know, it feels like a fifty-fifty that you know. Well, Kev, let me let me ask you this, Kev. Do you feel like if Minnesota made him an offer and Waddell went back to Dundon, that Dundon would match it, or do you think he'd let him go? I don't know. That's okay. a great question. I I think he likes. Don Waddell a lot. I, well, I know he does. I've talked to him about him in the past, and I think he appreciates uh, what he brings to the table. But he's also, and he has said this before, um, with the exception of uh, players, which he believes are unique, uh, talented things, he thinks everyone can be replaced, as he said, even me. Right. Yeah. And, 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 and he's not wrong. Right. Yeah. So let me ask you this. If I'm Tom Dundon or any other owner and I put and I take that view, and all of a sudden, my president and GM walks out the door and t- goes to another interview. And then he comes back and says, well, they may be this offer. It's you're paying me $500,000 a year. They want to pay me one, $1 million. Are you going to match? I drive him to the airport. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Here you go. Let's pack your bags and go. Because you've already made that decision of what his value is. Unless there's something else going on. You, right? There, that's, that's the kicker in this is this is such an odd situation. Why would you allow him to go and talk to someone if you either believe you're going to keep him or you haven't made him an offer? Or if you value like So at the end of the day, you can go talk to anyone because he's technically a free agent. Right. But why would you let this go on? Because he believes he can be replaced. And he's probably not wrong. It's Don Waddell. Yeah. Right? Don Waddell's track record is is split into two things, Kevin. One where you said his strengths are that he works with well with people, but his other side is not necessarily sterling in terms of building winning teams and such. So you, you've got sort of two sides to Don Waddell. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you're if you're Dundon, you're probably looking at that. He looks at it like everything through an economics lens. Right. So you have to sort of get in his mind of how he looks at things. And that that m- might not be wrong. But it's very different for the NHL. And frankly, if you want to see some innovation happen in the NHL, if you want to see some things change, because it does need change. It needs to evolve. It needs to be an organic, evolving entity with some capacity. You need someone who's going to stop just recycling people because they're around. And that's not a bad thing. I, I agree with you that. Know, go back to baseball. Look at all the brains that came into baseball because someone tries something different. And look what it's done for the sport. It's made it a lot more interesting when it was f- flagging, when you didn't have guys hitting balls out of the park at 70, 70 you know, home runs a year and stuff. It needed something else, and it finally got it. Right, but I, I agree with that to a point. But the thing is that I think Dundon's approach, which I think is flawed, is professional sports, if you're in management or if you're a player, is a meritocracy. You're paid based on how good yeah. you are. 
it, professional athletes and even management in those professional sports are not cogs in the wheel. They can't be easily replaced. There's a quality that a manager has, that a player has, that you can't say, oh, I'll just go get this other guy and he'll fit in just as well. It doesn't work that way. It's not corporate America where you have everybody in cubicles and you can just hire somebody else and put that person in that position. So that's where not I think- with players, Not with players, but- it it can be in other positions. Mike, I have yet to see a job description for a GM that makes them unique to only being able to do something in hockey. Because if that's the case, no one in ho no hockey man should be able to walk out of hockey and get another job because you can't have it one way where no one else can come in. That's fair. And right, like they can't just leave hockey and go, oh, they'd be great at doing this. Well, although uh, it, it works both ways or work or it doesn't work. There have you been which sports? Yeah, Ralph Kruger. He went to he went to the EPL to yeah. be. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm not sure he was team president or something. Oh, like that. And Paul DePodesta from the Mets went to the Browns, right? So yeah. you know that, that does happen occasionally. I just think, and I'm going to bring it back to Kevin. Kevin, I think what happened here with Leopold has been mainly good for Don Waddell because I think he's going to get a raise out of it one way or the other. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know. Um, I don't know if everybody remembers this, but Don Waddell was the runner-up for the expansion Nashville Predators, and mm -hmm. uh, uh, so Leopold uh, met him first, you know, 23 years ago or whenever it was, and you know liked him then as well. So yeah, I, 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 I thought Peter's assessment of that is was actually quite fair, and you know, including Don's record, um, you know, he he didn't uh, excel in terms of making the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, a better team. What he did excel in, you know, and if you talk to Gary Bettman, as I have about this, like he kept that that franchise afloat a lot longer than yeah uh, deserved to be. And and, um, and, and, and it probably and Kevin that thought in that 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 statement probably explains a lot of why he wasn't offered a job in Winnipeg because they didn't need him to keep it afloat in the city to begin with. It was gonna it was gonna be buoyant no. for years. No, right. And, What's, and, inter what's interesting is about him, though, is, and I think this is a point, and when there's a regime change, executives don't survive. And yeah. Waddell did. Not right. only did he survive, he survived with a guy who was uh, uh, difficult uh, to deal with and who's even said his plan was to fire Waddell when he got there. But yeah. he was so impressed with Waddell that he decided to keep him. But I, I do agree with what Russ did say. That what's going to come out of this one way or the other is, uh, you know, Don Waddell's going to be fine. Um, you know, he's either going to be president or G and GM of the Carolina Hurricanes for probably a little better salary than he would have gotten, or he's going to have a three or four year deal um, with the Minnesota Wild. Um, and I think he'll do a good job. I, I'm, I'm even though I think what Peter said is fair um, about Don Waddell, I actually think. You know, now that he's with a better team and a better organization, um, and he's got a, assets to work with, I, I think he's, you know, he knows enough about the game. I think he can make the, take the Hurricanes to the next level. Now we've got to see that. But one final point on this, and it's a point that's that I that I talked about once with Tom Dundon. You know, and his point is, you know, I can always get somebody to fill that role for what I'm willing to pay him. Like if you give Mike Agello right now hundred thousand dollars a year, he'll become he'll gladly take the job as general right. for the Carolina Hurricanes. So that's true. 
But the <laughs> argument, of course, is, and that's the one that that uh, Mike was making, is is that there are you know talent uh, issues here in terms of an ability to handle it, and you know, like I think. In particular, these two teams we're talking about, you can't bring in a first-time GM. You can't bring in a first-time GM and try to take the Carolina Hurricanes to the next step because he doesn't understand what it takes to do that. He hasn't been a GM before. And you can't bring a first-year general manager in, in my opinion, to try to solve the problems of the Minnesota Wild. So in both cases, I I think – you know, Don Waddell's qualifications are important. You know, he's now been with two different organizations. He also worked with the Red Wings, and that's forgotten when they were champions. Yeah, that's true. So he has some knowledge of how that all works. Yeah, Kevin, I think you raise a really good point about that with the value of experience and knowing what to do. So if you're the Hurricanes, you need someone who's understood what take what steps, what needs to be in place, not just what you see on the ice, but in all other capacities of the organization, the, the clubs that have had that next level of success have done. You need someone in there and you, you need someone who can sell your owner on it as well. So if you're the, the person hiring a Tom Dundon, you need to also recognize too that you have to be sold on what's being what what your hire is going to do. I, I see Minnesota a little differently than you though. I think given what they went through, the clearing, you know, the, the, the loss of, you know, the firing of Fenton the, and then what happened before that with clearing of analytics department and other people, that's probably the place where you really are having a hard reset and you've got a great coach from Bruce Boudreaux. That's where you could probably bring in a fresh face because you can rely on Bruce Boudreaux's experience. You can ride him out for a couple of seasons and work with him and be open to other ideas that maybe um, Le- Craig Leopold wants because it is kind of a bit of a blank slate that way, like other than the coach. And as a, as, as a new GM, you might not need to actually fire the coach right away because you're not someone anyone's expecting to do anything yet. You're still learning your chops, which might make it a palatable place for Bruce Boudreau to be. All I, all I can say is if uh, Mr. Dundon wants to hire me for $100,000, uh, I'll take the job. And then I'll quit, and then I can put the on the on the banner here. Former NHL GM Michael Agello. Well, uh, let, let, let me tell you that Peter's not going to be hired as a GM because <laughs> they, they are not looking at a hard reset. <laughs> I, I can tell you that beyond, uh, without a doubt. Uh, they they they're looking for someone who can come in and make adjustments. Uh, the way they view that is is they've got talent there, and they've never been able to bring it all together. So, yeah, um, I I don't think Craig's going to hire you, Peter. Um, no, I, I'm not looking for that job. I don't want that. I, I've got, I want to hang on to my remaining hair and keep what little that isn't white. White. See, I'm ready to be a GM. I've lost it all. Um, okay, a couple, couple things. Um, Russ, there is a 3 p.m. Um, event uh, in, in uh, I think, on Long Island regarding the uh, the, the Islanders in the building for the Belmont site. I, I don't know a lot of details here, but – they keep the, the the reports are that if, if if things get to go forward, that the groundbreaking will be around Labor Day. How many times are they going to keep moving this ball forward regarding this situation? Well, I, I spoke to our friend Ted Starkey about it yesterday, who works at Newsday, and so here's where we are. We have to stop pretending that it hasn't been delayed from what the original thought was, because. I know Islander apologists on Twitter will do that. 
and other people will do that. But at this point, it was supposed to happen months ago and it didn't. Right. So now after Labor Day is really like right around getting to be around the point when camp opens. However, the issue here is it could still be further delayed. There are potential problems there with Floral Park and their, I think their city council. So it's not a guarantee that that is going to happen after Labor Day. And so right now, this whole project is behind schedule. It is. And at some point, when we talked about that other thing that has happened with the contract where they could stay at Barclays for another, you know, for another season, because if it gets delayed like six months or, you know, a year, they're covered. I think that's going to come into play because right now we all have to admit and everybody out in, you know, Twitter land has to admit this has taken longer than they all thought. And this is what happens with Long Island politics. Yeah, Kevin, right now, I mean, the Arizona situation has cooled a little bit with the changeover uh, to the new owner who's a billionaire. And it seems like at least it's going to get a, a few years to see if they can work out a building somewhere. Uh, it, it's not it's not on the front burner about them moving someplace. With the Islanders here, if they don't get this building built, again, I think they're put on the front burner because I, I don't see the team moving out of the New York area. But at a certain point, if – this situation is untenable. Are they going to play at play at the Nassau Coliseum for the, the foreseeable future? Because they don't. They clearly don't want them to be at Barclays. No, they don't, and they they also don't want the Islanders to move. I mean, they want to keep them in the Metro. I I mean, you know, I'm sympathetic to uh, you know with the Islanders and the the Coyotes to you know trying to get new arenas in this day and age. Uh, like it's just so difficult like the pendulum has completely swung the other way like uh, at the longest time it was just you know there were studies that says well there's so many dollars that gets put in the community by people uh coming to games and everything and now we just don't believe that at all it's taxpayer money we're wasting it owners should pay for arenas themselves blah 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 and it just makes it much more difficult and uh, you're just running against the wind all the time like i i don't i just don't know whether arizona is ever going to get a arena build. And if they can't get an arena, it's certainly not working in Glendale. Then, you know, yeah. I know, I mean, I, I have been bullish on the coyote staying there forever and I still, you know, have hope that it can happen, but I, you know, I'm starting to see cracks in it. I I'm starting to wonder whether they'll ever get a new you, arena. And you I could I, move the coyotes to Houston so. and then you could move the flames to Glendale. Cause there's probably fans who have places in, in, in greater Phoenix. Then there are then there are Coyotes fans, and I'm dead serious. Yeah, there it's may be. Unbelievable yeah. how many Albertans are down there. Yeah, and no, I, I mean I, the Flames are a team that are going through the arena motions again now. Yeah. Right. Like, here's the thing about buildings: if there was money to be made in them, every billionaire would be building them. Right. That's all. Period. Dot. The end. Well, there isn't. There's no money in them. I, I'll tell you what. <laughs> That's I why they don't build them. Yeah. Kevin, I think I know when the pendulum swung. When the Miami Marlins built theirs, and because they were like, well, look, the reason we don't get fans is because it rains all the time. We'll have a dome. Okay. They gave them a dome. They gave them a big place with taxpayer money, and nobody shows up. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, the situations around, like in, in, in Buffalo, the Key Bank Center, which has been renamed and named <laughs> 5,000 different times, um, it's a little over 20 years old. 
the life of these buildings, you know, remember something built 20, 25 years ago, didn't have as many luxury boxes, didn't have all the amenities that they want in newer stadiums. They, you know, the, uh, having the ability to have concerts there is limited by, you know, whether they can get trucks to move in or the sizes of the stage and things of that nature. You know, there's been whispers around the Buffalo area that they're going to look to build a new building. And obviously they want to build a new football stadium in the next few years. Cause I think Ralph Wilson stadium is one of the oldest ones in the NFL next to Lambeau and, and the revamped uh, Chicago uh, uh, Soldier Field. Um, and in Toronto, uh, the Air Canada Centre slash Scotiabank Arena is 20 years old. There hasn't been any talk about that because it's you know right in the perfect place downtown, right near uh, rapid transit and trains and everything. And But eventually, within the next five to ten years, there probably will be talk about that. And their baseball stadium, Rogers Centre, you know, 25 years ago, it was cutting edge as, as the Sky Dome. Now it's a concrete convertible. Now it's a joke. And they well, talk- Mike, I, I will tell you this. With Chris Cuomo is still behind the, the Belmont project. Right. The Sabres won't even be able to talk about this project until that one gets settled because it's the same state. Even though it seems like it's a billion miles away, yeah. he's not going to sign on with the Sabres before he figures out the Islanders, oh, right? right. The, Pagoula, the Pagoulas would have to fund most yeah. of it, and they would probably depend on the state for infrastructure. So that I think that's what would, you know that's that's what's been the supposedly been the, the the case for a football stadium. They would probably have to foot the bill, which you know if that happens, then you're going to have seat licenses and things of that yeah. nature. And that that that's a road that they don't want to go down because Buffalo is not exactly uh, financially able to handle that. So that that might be. You know, a situation w- which would not work. Uh, let's, let's transition to this, Kev. Um, we're now August 8th. We're now about five weeks from the beginning of training camp. And we've got Marner, Kachuk, Besser, Line, Connor, Braden Point, all these RFAs, all the ones that we looked at going forward at the beginning of the summer saying, okay, when are they going to start signing and how much are they going to get? And it's, it's, it's a staring contest between all these teams and all these free agents. And the question is, when when are things going to start to break? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously they're all going to get signed. Um, but I think we will see guys go into the season here because I think there are teams that are trying to hold the line a little bit, um, at least not to give away all of the farm. They'll only give a small you know, plot of land to, to these teams. So they just don't want to give it all to them. And I, you know, because of that, I think the majority will get signed before the season, but I wouldn't be shocked if there are one or two that, you know, stretch out in there. But obviously, eventually, they're all going to get signed because I think hopefully this summer we finally have put to bed the idea of, um, you know, the reason we don't do uh, offer sheets is they simply don't work. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, so these guys really don't have any leverage. Uh, and you know, other than hold withholding services, um, yeah. So, Peter, I I, I don't want to hear about offer sheets ever again because other than the joke that was the the birth of an offer sheet to to uh, Sebastian Ajo, which I mean, it took Dundon about five seconds to to match. Uh, really, I mean, nobody. I mean, we've heard the rumor about Columbus being interested in offering Mitch Marner an offer sheet, but it was only to the max seven year deal and Marner's camp didn't want that. So, um, 
I think offer sheets on both sides will only be if it perfectly matches, you know, the term and the amount and the criteria that, you know, that the agent or that the team wants. And if there's any dis disagreement, it's not going to happen. Uh, you know what? Millennials ruined offer sheets. That's all I can say. Um, <laughs> like they don't work. They, 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 the, the format of the offer sheet does not allow it to be a successful tool. It's a tool, but it does not work with it. With a league now shifting to maximizing value on ELCs, call players coming out of wherever they're playing, whether it be Europe, whether it be the WHL, like the Canadian Hockey League or college, almost ready in your top picks to play a meaningful role on teams now. Mm -hmm. um, why do you want to give up those assets for a, a guy you're going to have to not only overpay with assets, but then pay a lot of money to. It doesn't it, it doesn't make sense in the current NHL model. It's a fun thing to have as a tool, but it's a tool that doesn't make any sense to use. It's like it's like trying to use a chainsaw to do fine woodwork in, in the dining room. It yeah. it doesn't make sense. I just and I wish it did. I wish offer sheets were in a format that allowed them to be an effective tool that teams could use as leverage against someone else. But, you know, we can't even get GMs to, to figure out how to weaponize their cap space. Right. Like hoping offer sheets become something of, of a tool is, is wishful thinking. Now it's gone the way of the Dodo. We should, you're right, Mike, we should just stop talking about them. I I'm, I'm waiting for the first GM to sort of go public and this will probably never happen and say, Hey, you know what? This is great that, that we're still negotiating, but negotiations end when camp starts. Cause I've got to focus on this season. I've got to put a team out there. I don't want to do what the Leafs did last year. It disrupted their whole team. We're not doing that. So be prepared that, you know, come September, whatever, September 10th, the 15th, mm -hmm. that's it. Once camp starts, I'll talk to you over the weekends, but I'm not doing it day to day anymore. Well, Kevin, let me let me just ask this because I mentioned this a couple of days ago as a potential, and it's obviously it's a solution that would be fraught with peril. But one of the things that's coming up here is now these these are not arbitration eligible RFAs. It's it's it, you know offer sheet is the only means of leverage for them. Uh, I'm assuming that this in some way is going to get addressed in the new CBA. At least, at least the owners will want to try that. I mean, would extending arbitration to after entry level be a solution? Because at least it would get these players back in camp or back playing. Yeah. I mean, it certainly will be talked about, but um, you know, I, I, I don't think it's a hill that they're going to die on. Yeah. Um, you know, to using the Bill Daly phrasing. Um, I, I, I just, you know, I think it's so few players and it's it's top players, but, you know, when you compare it to the number of uh, players that they're dealing with, you know, this doesn't affect all that many players. Right. Um, so that's why I don't think you go to the mat over it. Um, you know, so we'll see. We'll see how it all kind of, uh, um, you know, uh, you know, so much is, it's going to depend on what the ask is of the players, like what they're trying to accomplish. Do they try to change the uh, um, the offer sheet? Um, so I, I'm not sure they will either. I, I, again, I don't think that's affects enough players. I think they'd rather have uh, the escrow uh, altered, uh, uh, entry <laughs> yeah. level salary, you know, things that affect a lot of players. 
I agree. I agree. I think with the way contracts are being squeezed in terms of top end players getting the percentage of money and then stuff, there's going to be some cries in that membership to say, we've got to find an equalization way so that the rest of us aren't signing these weird one year, $850,000 deals just to keep playing. Right. Like should, should, although Kevin Shattenkirk is not hurting for money, um, is he worth 1.75 million? Like, you, you know what I mean? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't he be making a little bit more than that? Like, I'm not crying for his wealth or anything, but just in a, in, yeah. a, in an open market, yeah. I mean, there's, there's variables of why it happened that way, but there are, there is a squeeze. And, and so I think you're bang on Kevin. I think there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff with escrow, a whole bunch of stuff about how to deal with that. And if an agent or whoever, a group of people can come up and show the players how you can weaponize offer sheets to your financial advantage, then they probably take a look at it, but not if it's only going to be the current format and, 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 and only for the top end players. It needs to be able to be used in a way that allows players to benefit if they I, choose to take the risk of moving teams. If there's like five or six teams that open camp and they're missing some of their best young players, this is going to lead towards the lockout. The owners are going to get fed up with this. And it, there's going to be action taken on the back end of this. They will. And so that's why you hope something gets done soon because it should never even get to this point. It really shouldn't. Well, the other the other th issue here is, is that, you know, anything you do to help the top in players, mm -hmm. and if we just to say there's always at least one on every team, and really it's if you look around, there's usually three guys that are making a lot of money on every team now. So, you know, we help those 90 guys. Well, if we help them, everybody getting $2 million, that means there might be five or six players in the middle of that of that roster that are going to be impacted by that because right. they're not going to get as much. And they're they're you know suddenly the the guys that were fighting for to get two point five million are down at mm -hmm. one seven or one six or one five or one million. Mm -hmm. um, and you know like I looked at Rocco Gamaldi's uh, you know arbitration and you know he's fighting over a one year contract and you know four or five hundred thousand dollars well yeah. if 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 you know stars are going to get more players you know what's he going to be fighting over then you know he's gonna it's gonna be down to uh you know it's just the minimum or we'll see you you know so right you know um okay a couple quick questions in the chat and now we can with our new system that we're using here we can see the questions if i put them on the on the screen and our friend funky cold zadina who always asks a bunch of questions and it's maybe unfair to kevin because you know we're a month out from camp and eiserman is the new gm there so the philosophy is going to be a little different from what kenny holland had done in the past but he said he asked kevin do you think that any of uh zadina Valeno, Moritz Sater, or Chalowski have a chance of making the Red Wings this season? I'll go Zadina, yes. Uh, Valeno starting in the – will be in starting in uh, uh, Grand Rapids, but will be on the team. Uh, Sater's a real wild card. Like, I, I, I just have this feeling they want him to make it. Um, I, 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 it just – there's just something about him. They like him. Um uh, I, I know Eiserman is patient, so, you know, that would suggest he's going to go, you know, back uh, uh, to Germany or, or wherever. But uh, 
Um, I, I think they really would like to get him up as quick as possible. So I don't know. He's he's a he's a wild card for me. Chalowski, you know, like he played well early last year, and then he kind of hit a wall. And I think there's a little concern that he needs some games to sort of learn how to handle the the you know the 82 game grind and the physical aspect of it. And he's got to get better defensively. Mm -hmm. um, he can certainly handle the puck. So. Uh, this is a guess on him, but I'm going to go no on him. So I'm going to go yes, yes on Zadino. Molino eventually during the season. Cider, I think they want him to make it. And I'll say Chalowski will spend the year in uh, Grand Rapids. So one thing I can add, Kev, is I think Cider makes it because his original role in Germany was like a shutdown defender. And then as his offense got better, they put him in that role. But since Ronick's probably going to be your guy on the second power play there, they could still put Cider in there, not as a shutdown, but just as a defensive defenseman to start out. Yeah, and a lot depends on Mike Green's health. Right. Um, it really does. Um, I just think, uh, uh, you know, a lot of Detroit fans didn't like that signing last year um, because they really wanted just to go right with the rebuild. But he was important to have around. Like he, yeah. um, you know, you look at their record with him and without him, and then you realize kind of how he holds the team together. And I think it's important for these younger defensemen to see a guy that, you know, knows how to get the puck out of his zone, knows how to carry the puck into the zone, can run a power play. So I, I, I know they are really hoping that he's going to be ready uh, to play. Yeah, I mean, Iserman, Peter, Iserman's skills as a general manager are going to really be put to the test with the Red Wings because I did a review of the Red Wings and looked at their roster, and you've got three or four forwards, guys like you know Darren Helm, Abdul Kader, uh, Luke Glenn Denning, all on long-term deals, all sort of like, I mean, their number offensive numbers have trailed off. Now, I know you need players to play on the team, but, you know, they, they, they really need these guys to either get back to where they were or be able to find a way to, you know, to move them out. And on defense, they have three defensemen over the age of 33 in the final year of their contract in Erickson, Daly, and Green. And if they're all healthy at the deadline, I see rental deals because I think Detroit is going for sort of rebuild city. And that's where I think Iserman's big challenge here is, is to, is to get that team rebuilt as quickly as possible. Yeah. I, I mean, we're just in the infancy of this, right? So <clears throat> we're going to have to take our time and watch how he sort of sees his season unfold, what options come his way and how patient he wants to be. And it'll be really fascinating to sort of see what his vision for this team is. Cause there is a team doing a hard reset, right? Like, you know, except you're bringing in an experienced person who is sort of, I mean, I guess you, can you call Iserman the architect of what Tampa Bay is now? I think you can. I think oh, yeah. for sure. Sure. I think that's a fair thing. So, you know, he just happens to be a former NHL player who seems to have found success in, in a good way in the front office. And now they're bringing him back to his sort of his career town. It'll be really fascinating to see if he in as a GM in Detroit is the same kind of methodical person he was in Tampa. And if he's the same kind of style that is the fans remember him as on the ice, like, you know, it'll be fun to watch. I think this will be, it's a long-term story, but it'll be super interesting for someone such as yourself, Kevin, who knows the, 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 the franchise well and its history to sort of watch how Iserman comes in and does all this. Well, what, what's amazing about him is 
uh, he his honeymoon is going to be so long. It might be the longest honeymoon a GM has ever had. Like yeah. he could trade Dylan Larkin for a bag of peanuts, and the fans in Detroit would say, oh, "He must know what he's doing." <laughs> I mean, he you know, like everybody just believes in what. It, like if he would have, if that uh, German defenseman had been picked by Kenny Holland, there would have been insurrection, right. uh, without a doubt. But because it's Eisman, and 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 by the way, Ken Holland knew that. And that played a role in his thinking is he, he didn't want the franchise to go down. Um, and he knew how much uh, the fans had turned on him. Um, and he, you know, he thought it was going to have an impact on, you know, everything, including season tickets. And I think that's one of the reasons that it helped him conclude uh, that it was time to, to hand the reins over to Eisenman. Cause he knew Eisenman would get a honeymoon period that will, will be lengthy. Uh, but the fans adore Eiserman, uh, yeah. for, for good reason, obviously. You know, he was, a, Understandable. He was the ultimate captain. Uh, quickly on this one, and we'll then win the show, our buddy Flamester, uh, Randy Workman, asks, Mike, would the panel consider trading Mitch Marner? Uh, well, uh, let me answer first, since the, the Leafs are my beat. Uh, not a chance in hell. Um, I think that, you know, they want to sign him. They have made the room to sign him. They made that Clarkson deal to open up the cap space on LTIR to, you know, I, I think right now it's a haggling over term and not, not as much amount, but it's term. He wants to get it as close to being, to getting a short-term deal and hopping the UFA as quickly as possible to hit the big money. And that's, that's what Darren Ferris is looking for. And anything over six or seven years, they're asking for as much as Matthews is, is getting. And I don't think the Leafs are going down that road. So I think it's going to end up being a three-year deal. And I don't think that they'll even entertain an idea of trading him. Uh, Kevin, do you think they'll, do you think they would be open yeah. to trading him? Not a chance. I, I, I won't, they won't even listen to offers on Russ. No, I don't think they would trade him and I wouldn't, but let's just say the season's ready to start and Mitch Marner isn't there. If I were Mike Babcock, I would be like, everybody look around. Look at the guy to the right of you. Look at the guy to the left of you. Because when we do sign Mitch Marty, one of you will probably be without a job real soon. Right. Probably the guy wearing number 88. Um, Peter Marner, do you think they would tr entertain trading him or would no. you? No. They're keeping him. This will, all, this will not be Nylander 2.0. This will get done. I agree. Okay, great show, guys. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with another edition of the Hockey Buzzcast. Thank you for thank you to Kevin Allen. Thank you to Peter Tessier and Russ Cohen. I'm Michael Agello. Thanks for watching, and remember, without the buzz, it's just hockey. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.